evening, brother. Hey, how are you doing, Sergio? I'm good, Ron. How are you, man? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Cannot complain. Uh, it don't do us no good. No, exactly. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? Not one bit. Not one bit. I'll tell you what. How how have you been since I last talked to you? Busy. Just slap busy. Um, we've been... Uh, we finished up uh, my daughter's basketball season. We... Uh, got back into doing some um um some deeper ministry work then we had a minor covid outbreak in the church um we've started house searching i mean <laughs> it's just it's been one thing after the other but all praises to god though we uh we've been able to 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 keep our wits and and keep moving in in his direction so that's it's all good you said you were getting into some deeper ministry opportunities. What are you talking about, buddy? Well, I mean, we, we've been reaching out or I've actually been a part of uh, several different initiatives in this area. Uh, we have done everything from Skype meeting to having luncheons, but we're uh, one of the, uh, one of the efforts is we are, looking to bring the Billy Graham Evangelist uh, uh, Association <clears throat> uh, to the area. Um, we're looking at doing a grand uh, revival in the Fredericksburg area sometime in 2022. Uh, so it's been, you know, local area pastors, uh, businessmen uh, who are faith-based and the, the lot um, just sitting down and talking about how that's going to look, where the venues would be, how we'll go about doing uh, doing the three or four day event. Um, and it's it's crazy because um, just within the last, I guess, right before COVID hit, we had the uh, uh, the Nationals minor league team build a stadium here in Fredericksburg. Um, and it's like COVID hit, it opened, but they didn't have anything in it. And so <laughs> it's really set. They've had one or two socially distanced uh, concerts there, but, you know, here it is. We're, we're looking like we're going to be the first uh, major event that they'll be able to showcase and they'll be able to showcase this new stadium in. So you you got that. We uh, uh, there's another uh, venture where we were looking at the different churches and talking about the race issue, and we thought we had really talked through a lot of the issues that were stemming from uh, you know almost a year and a half ago. Where you had the um, uh, the Floyd case, the Aubrey case, uh, the uh, Breonna Taylor case, you know, it was again multi-ethnic, multi-denomination churches and pastors getting together and really saying, okay, how do we address this issue that you know is still um, really a, a sore spot? or a, a taboo topic in, in our in most churches today. 
And just as we were getting to a point where, you know, we shared resources and we'd gone through a couple of different um, studies and had some great dialogue and, and actually had met um, probably uh, two or three times with um, like 40, 40 to 50 different churches represented, uh, we end up turning around and, you know, the last couple weeks or months with uh, stuff that has really just reignited the, the issue and the concern. And it's like, well, while we're not having it here, how do we reach out to our brothers and sisters across the country and, you know, share with them how we've been able to kind of resolve or not resolve, but kind of address our, our, our concerns. So, you know, those two have really been uh, at the forefront, but it's like, whew, you know, <laughs> you, you, you get on one call and you spend some time and uh, you, you get on, a, you know, another one or you go and have a, a lunch with um, some brothers and, and you, you realize very quickly that this isn't something that's going to be fixed overnight. Um, because it didn't happen overnight, but it is, it's, it's hurting a lot of our uh, minority churches. You know, um, we had a, uh, a, a Korean brother who just like, we as a, a, a community really never shared in any other minorities struggle. We, you know, we don't look like anybody. We don't, uh, we don't even look like, you know, uh, or, or speak like anyone else. And he was like, but to see how many uh, Christian brothers and sisters had come to our aid in the last month when we saw these heinous attacks on Asian Americans, he was like, it opened our eyes that we can't be silent when a Hispanic brother or African American brother or, you know, someone else comes out and says, will you stand with us? That is huge. You know, with the, with the race issue going on in America, I, I've been having conversations with um, another Christian who he is obviously black um, because why would I have these race conversations with someone else? You know, <laughs> they, it, it's one of those things where we have to actually talk in between the races. You know, we have to actually have the dialogue as I, I, you know, and really get down to the bottom line of everything. It's not a matter of having a, um, it, it's not a matter of what your opinion is. And it's not a matter of what their opinion is. It's a matter of, of, of what the truth is. And sometimes the truth may hurt, you know, it, it may go right. against what you've always been taught that you thought you knew. And that, that line that's down the middle, you know, Republican and Democrat um, it, it doesn't matter black or white. It doesn't matter. The, the truth is the humanity of everything. If, if we actually really regard people as human beings, then we can really actually get down to the nitty gritty of things. Just because I don't like a certain type of music or a certain type of cultural aspect of your being, and you don't like something about mine doesn't make you or I less human. And so I love the fact that you're attacking this, that you're taking the time to really look at this and have these conversations. Uh, again, uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm thankful one that, 
uh, God has given me that, 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 that heart and that mindset. Um, but I'm also mindful that, you know, uh, it, it's something that's needed and it's going to take people from both sides of the, the, the divide, so to speak, to really be willing to sit down at the table, have the heartfelt discussion. And like you said, get to the root, get to the fact that, okay, um, you know, close your eyes, hear the recount of the stories. And would you ever want X, Y, and Z to happen to anyone? Yeah. You know, and I'm, 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 I'm mindful of, you know, the illustration. Uh, I mean, I, I love the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of the theatrics that were implied, uh, but uh, it, it was one of those where in um, A Time to Kill, Matthew McConaughey is playing the, the, the defense lawyer for um, Samuel L. Jackson's uh, character who, you know, you know, goes out and, and literally in a fit of rage seeks revenge on the gentleman who had beat, raped, and hung his little girl. You know, they had so brutalized her young body that the doctor said she would never be able to have kids. And, you know, as a father, you're like, you're, you're, you just can't imagine. And so he asks, he goes in a, in a, in a rage, he breaks into the, uh, the, the courthouse where they're getting ready to get arraigned. He shoots at the place and accidentally, you know, um, uh, shoots a, a guy that he had went um, to high school with and the guy ends up losing his leg. But, you know, in the trial of uh, Samuel Jackson's character, you know, uh, Matthew McConaughey taking the, the stance that he does, he says, you know, all right, I, I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And then he goes on and starts to recount the story of and he just explains it as a, a, a little girl walking home, um, minding her own business until she, and he basically tells us the story of this, this little innocent child having her life taken from her. And then he says, now imagine you are her father or her mother. Mm. And then now open your eyes and realize who I'm talking about is this man's daughter. Oh, <laughs> and you know, it's like you got the jurors who are just bawling and it's like, wait, you know, I can see where he would go off the deep end. And in that moment, it was enough for them to, you know, be able to come back and say, okay, uh, you know, we're, we're quit this man of this murder, but it was one of those, why did it take that? You know, why did it take having to have their eyes closed for them to see, oh, wait, you know, this is a tragedy. This is, this is something that no parent should have to endure. And it's one of those where it's like, well, you know, unfortunately, you know, uh, or fortunately, or however you want to, you know, come to it, it's like it was a movie, and you know, it 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 elicited a, a certain um, 
response from you, but it was intended to elicit a certain uh, response from you. So it was just one of those things. Obviously, we don't have to <laughs> spend too much more time on that, but that was just a thought. Well, I mean, that's it's a huge thought. I mean, the question why, I think, is the biggest question that we don't ask is why, what motivated, what caused such a thing, what made this person be that way, you know, or a black male to walk into a white suburban neighborhood, you know, rich white suburban neighborhood, there's fear that you're going to have the cops called and you're going to be shot. I mean, let's, let's really get down and be honest. Well, then why is it that that is the case that you feel as a black male that you're going to walk through a neighborhood and it's going to feel that way? Now, is it because of the fact that, you know, stereotypically you watch every single movie or every single show or every single story where the, the black male is is usually portrayed as a perpetrator or some kind of a you know there's like a underlying evil that that it was there you know now luckily that narrative has changed but those narratives are what's kind of driving all of these different things and the point i'm trying to make is you ask the question as to why what's really causing all of this and i think once once we get down to the root nature of everything, we'll realize that there's a lot of manipulations that are going on that are trying to push these narratives. And we have a bigger enemy. And of course, that is the perpetrator of the air, you know, the, the prince of the power of the air, old, old Satan, you know, he's trying to cause these divisions and trying to cause these narratives that, that really define our culture. Right. And that culture is perfectly illustrated, uh, you know, in, in the marriage, in racial tension, and all these different issues that are, are driving every single one of God's institutions into the ground. Well, and, and that's the thing that I, I think is the, uh, the dilemma and the concern, because if we're not aware culturally the impacts that are happening in the uh, Hispanic home where you know, we literally had a recent election hanged on the Hispanic vote. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize. If you go back to some of the swing states, uh, that's really what carried the vote for Kamala and, and Joe. And you're like, well, well, why was that? Well, you take a look at the stance that the previous administration had on immigration. Uh, you take a, a look at how the previous administration looked at the voting rights. And right or wrong, it was a very outspoken stance. But if you're not aware of how that impacts that community or that culture, then you're not aware of how there's resentment, there's hurt. And then that resentment and hurt further further causes the divide, further causes there to be isolation, further causes there to be a suspicion about why all of a sudden is this white pastor trying to get me to come to his church? Or why would we want to go to an African-American church? We're Hispanic. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Until you have seen or heard the dialogue and it be genuine dialogue, it makes it hard for you to, you know, really come to grips with the realities that are. And if you're you're standing with, you know, the rose-colored glasses and, and you 
you're, you know, got your ears plugged because you got your, your earmuffs on. Yeah, you're not going to see or hear a lot of the things. And that's exactly where the enemy wants you. The enemy wants you dumb, blind, and happy because as he has you dumb, blind, and happy, he can get you to do some things that you otherwise, hopefully, would not have been doing. And that's unfortunate because everybody now is, oh, what's the buzzword? What's the buzzfeed? What's the, the quick answer uh, that is on Twitter or Instagram or this less than reputable news channel? And instead of taking the time to do a little research and find out for themselves. Yeah, I, ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. The the more blind we are, the better they can push us with their narratives and they can, you know, this yeah. Why why look into something? Why even why even try? Because you're just being lied to all over the place is what we we're being told. So ever, ever always being um immersed in the lie, all always being immersed in the narrative. But why would we want to look into the actual facts of everything and see what is actually happening around us? So yeah. Yeah, it's a hot button topic. But, you know, the pandemic, my concern is that because folks haven't taken the time to read between the lines, um, they have allowed the fear to drive them to links that or drive them to thinking in ways that is unhealthy. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't a, a, a virus out there. Uh, I'm not saying that it hasn't had its impact on people's health, their their lives. Uh, I, I'm not saying that at all. But if you tell me to follow the science, okay, what makes this any different? Yeah. It's how the media covered it. It's how the contradicting information was put out and it was, okay, who do I believe? And what do I do next? And, oh, they're telling us to wear masks. Well, they're saying that now folks are developing upper respiratory issues because out of fear, they're wearing the mask far longer than they need to. Does that make sense at all? It's one of those things that, you know, you have a gentleman who's supposedly the, the number one person in the country. Everyone's looking to Dr. Fauci for all the guidance and, and, and whatnot. And, and you'll have mixed messages from him, from the CDC, from from all of these quote unquote authorities. And it's like, wait a minute. Well, who do you believe? And um, it's really a confusing time because where do you get your information from? If you get it from the if you get it from the far right then you're going to be getting information that is going to be leaned towards the Republican belief system. Whereas if you get it from the far left, you're going to have the exact same but opposite thing. And both sides hating each other are going to push the narrative to make the other look bad or to try to drive us into some kind of frenzy because, you know, that's how they control everything. But if we actually had a place where we could get the real information, like the unbiased information, which isn't, George Soros driven or driven by a Republican narrative, then we could actually make a better decision. 
truth be told, we saw the writing on the wall that it was coming, but I don't think anybody really wanted to do anything different. That really can't be the path that we're on. And so, yeah, I'm just going to dismiss it. And then when we showed up at this point, it's like, oh, wait, it's too late to course correct. You know, we're in the midst of it. We're in the midst of, you know, a a time in our history where all it would have taken was for there to be a not guilty verdict in Chauvin's case. And even while it came back guilty on all three accounts, you had those who their commentary was, well, they'll be riding and looting in the streets because they got what they wanted. And, you know, I'm, I'm scrolling and I'm seeing those kinds of responses from people on Facebook. And I'm like, how how, how could that be your take on a, another portion of humanity, uh, uh, another portion of your of our society? And there are some who are saying, you know, uh, within the the African-American community that say one right response does not change. And you can put whatever number of years, (laughs) whether you want to talk about 50 years, 100 years, 200, 300, 400, 500, however many years of being here, it does not take away the 500 plus years of wrongdoing. Again, a step, a decision is better than no decision. And, and and that's, you know, that's that's trying to find that that perfect middle spot for everybody. Okay, yeah, you, 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 now hopefully you can see that the importance of justice being served that we hold people who are doing wrong accountable that's huge because you will want somebody to if you were taken you know in a in, in an error or in something that was egregious you would want somebody to hold those who took you accountable as well whether it was someone who was the same color as you somebody who uh same age as you someone who was a, a different you know uh race uh, race or different age, you would still want somebody to hold that individual, that perpetrator accountable. And And it certainly should be the case if it's someone who is hiding behind a uniform that the primary purpose of them being in the uniform is to protect and serve. Yeah, and you know, talking to a gentleman and, you know, basically the conversation was, you know, what did you think about the Chauvin verdict? It was like, yeah, well, I'm glad that the Chauvin verdict happened, but honestly, he doesn't need to have, you know, 40, 30, 40, or whatever, how many years, whatever the, whatever the actual judgment is going to be. He needs to be taken out like George was taken out. And... I looked at him. I said, wait a minute, hold on. So you're saying that he needs to basically eye for an eye be taken out the same way that he was taken out, that that he took out George Floyd. So by that same logic, when George Floyd was arrested 
for, you know, robbing and pointing a gun at a woman's belly with a child in her belly, would you say that he also should have had his girlfriend or wife, pregnant wife or something like that held at gunpoint or, you know, it, it, it goes, it just goes. So, um, why aren't we just happy that there is this judgment? And, and I understand what you're come where you're coming from with this, this belief that it's, there should be more, but again, like you illustrated, we need to be happy with the first steps. If, if we're, if we're worried about a system that is systematically racist, then we need to take the steps to actually make that system better. And we can't make that system better by going above and beyond the system. We have to change the system to, to fit systematically and equality within all of the races and not make it to where one judgment is worse than another judgment, but is actually just, if you know what I'm saying. Right. And that's the thing that I truly believe that we have got to to decide. Let us truly examine how we define right. What is humane? What is uh, appropriate? What is, you know, insert the appropriate word, but it's one of those where it's like, okay, this is not something that should be a head scratch or it should be anything that, you know, oh, we we need to really uh, uh, take some time to consider this. No. What we need to do is say, if you wouldn't want X, Y, and Z to happen to your memo. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There you go. You know, if, if, if you uh, want somebody kneeling on your meemaw's neck, it's not right for anybody. If you wouldn't want somebody, um, you know, asking your meemaw for ID and as she's trying to give you the ID, unleash, uh, uh, you know, a hail of bullets at her, then guess what? It's not right for anybody. Very true. Very true. I only bring this up because I, I thought it was it was a sad state of affairs. I don't know if you saw it. I guess it's been two weeks ago. Uh, the the army lieutenant, second lieutenant, who was in uniform that got pepper spray. I'm sorry, there was nothing that warranted that escalation. I am thankful that that young man is still alive. And I honestly believe had he not been in a well-lit environment, that could have been a totally different story. Because even as they are, you know, given the story and, and pointing out what the officer initially was trying to address, it was just like, that's a hole in the story. That's an hole in the story. You know, they initially say, well, the, the cop was concerned because there were no um, you know, tags on a plate where then they show no in the upper um, right hand corner of the you know back window, that's where the tags were. That's where the dealer had placed them. Uh, when the, the gentleman says, well, you know, the tent on the vehicle was dark, 
it's a brand new vehicle. That's the tent that came with the vehicle and the state that they were in did not have any uh, regulations on rear or side tent. Yeah. You know, it says you were uh, not pulling over um, and that you were driving slow. Well, was driving slow, so they weren't trying to evade you, but not going to stop on the side of a road where it's dark. Not going to happen. Yeah. That's that's called situational awareness, and that's something that we should teach everybody, okay? And then when the gentleman is being compliant and has done what you've asked, turned off the vehicle, has got his hands out of the window, you can plainly see you don't give him the reason, and then you escalate things to the point where you pepper spray him. He's trying to tell you he's got a dog in the vehicle. You don't care. Now, if the dog had come out and attacked you because you were doing something to his owner, how wrong could that situation have turned? And then the thing that was most concerning to me about that whole evolution was you had an older cop who was doing this as he had a younger cop with him. These things don't just happen. It is learned. So you have this young, impressionable cop seeing that his older cop says, hey, this looks like a guy. We're just going to, instead of getting close enough on the opposite side or doing Oh, sir, yeah, I understand. We were on a dark road. Uh, I was just wondering, uh, I didn't see a, a tag. If the individual says, well, the tag is in, it's a number of different ways that that could have been handled. But that young cop, that young impressionable cop, just saw you assault an individual who puts on a uniform freely and potentially is put in harm's way every time he deploys around the world so that you have the freedoms that you have. And if that's gonna happen to someone who's in uniform and it's plain as day, what happens when I fit the general description and I'm sorry, I hadn't changed a whole lot in my look. So I'm a six foot, 200 pound, 200 plus pound African-American male with short hair. I, I fit the description of a lot of different people but I'm a retired vet. I'm a retired vet who is 90% disabled. Now, it's not something that's glaring in my disability, but I'm 90% disabled. What happens if you roll up on me, I go to get out of a vehicle, and it's one of the days where my hip and my, my ankles are bothering me, and I'm not moving fast enough, or it's difficult for me to get down on the ground because you're asking me to be compliant. What happens then? Now, that's the reality, and that's a fear, but it's one of the things that I, I've told friends of mine, you know, I, I have a no-concealed carry permit, um, and there have been times when, uh, especially when we have held um, um, big outdoor events at our church, that I've wanted to carry, but my concern is, what happens if they roll up on the spot, they see me trying to address the situation, And it's a case of mistaken identity. That wraps up another episode of Heart of the Faithful Ministry. Thank you so much for listening. My special guest this episode was Sergio Wooden. And uh, I just want to say a little bit of a note. 
we have been on a little bit of a hiatus. Things have been a little bit erratic. We look to be on a regular schedule soon after we get everything settled with a new house. And you know how the housing market is on fire, so it's a little bit difficult. Anyways, we look for you on the next episode of Heart of the Faithful Ministries. Thank you so much for listening. Special shout out to Allie Howard for doing the graphics. And all the music you hear is written by Ron Howard.